Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John Licton. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, ASA for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now on to the episode. Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm John Mickton with host Dan Taylor. Hi, Dan. Yeah. Hi, John. How are you doing? All good in Luxembourg? All good in Luxembourg. How are things in Prague these days? It's good. It's a bit cold. I think I think we've had a brief summer. I think it's almost over. So um, yeah, it's great. It's great. Great. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. So we have uh, two guests. Uh, Vicky, who's the head of the International School of Bergen, and Liz, who's the head of the International School of Rheintal. Am I pronouncing that right? Pretty close. It's good enough. (laughs) And uh, so what we're really excited about, uh, Vicky and Liz, both uh, are school leaders, school directors, and they transitioned uh, from different countries in the middle of COVID to take on new school leadership roles, and then we're school leaders in another context. And we're going to let them, of course, unpack that and tell us a bit. And then we're just going to kind of find out what are some learnings, what are some things they're going to keep doing, maybe stop doing and start doing based on these experiences and any maybe wisdoms or tips or strategies for leaders around the world and educators in general uh, with that journey that they went through. So Vicky, uh, welcome and give us a bit of your journey. Welcome. Hi, I'm Vicky Stiebert. Um, as you can probably hear by my accent, I come from New Zealand and I've worked in a number of international schools in Hamburg, uh, in Vienna. I went back to New Zealand as head of an Anglican uh, school and then I spent 10 years in Switzerland, in Zurich. From there I went to Panama and now I'm in the rainiest city in Europe called Bergen in Norway. <laughs> Thank Great. you very much. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I wanted to ask about Panama. We, we, we talked before we started recording. Uh, I, I, I had a really good time there on my honeymoon, and I met a few teachers out there. Like, what's it like? Um, I know it's a place some people are interested to go and work. There's quite a few international schools there. What What is it like as a – as obviously it depends on the school very much, but as a place to live, how did you find it? Well, Panama City is absolutely fascinating in that it's actually got 12 international schools. So there are a lot of people who come in from all over the globe, and it's a fascinating place to teach in, but it's also a wonderful place to live. Um, It's a little bit like a tropical paradise, and I had the privilege of living on a little island outside Panama City uh, where you'd see the world's trade go past the Panama Canal. So uh, an absolutely brilliant place, and you couldn't have chosen a better place for your honeymoon, I have to say. (laughs) That's great. We wanted to go somewhere nobody else goes. So yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So Vicky, while you were in Panama as the director of the school there, of course, COVID hit. And you are obviously as a school director, you were in the front and center of everything. What were some things that quickly you had to do to recalibrate just because there was no playbook for this? And of course, you tapped into your skill set and also your leadership team and your community. What are some things that quickly you had to tap into that maybe you hadn't as a leader before? Well, fortunately, the directors around the globe are part of a director network called AAIE. So last year in January, 
um, schools started being impacted by COVID. So I was part of their weekly meetings and you'd start hearing schools closing down, going online, and it just kept moving closer and closer to Panama City. So we started revising our um, digital learning policies. We started upskilling our teachers. But I don't think anybody in Panama actually thought it was going to happen. So having been part of this network, it... Um, made me give this a sense of urgency. And I think, you know, with my German heritage, people thought I was being the woman from hell, continually pushing, saying, you know, we need to do this, we need to learn these skills and all of that. And then suddenly it happened. Um, it was in the middle of March and we had a professional development day. And in Panama, you have to go by everything the Ministry of Education says. So it's not so much the state, uh, it was the Ministry of Education. And we were given two hours to actually clear the campus. And uh, yeah, honestly, it was wow, it was incredible. And we were all faced with a problem that most people who were part of the school didn't think was going to happen. So you saw teachers running all over the place, trying to cram resources. Um, nobody was allowed to travel, so we had to make sure that students had devices. So they suddenly came and um, came to the school to pick up devices because, as in many families, you know, there's one or two devices, but not one for every child. So these two hours were very, very dramatic, lots of communications going out. And... Um, yeah, and suddenly it became reality and everybody believed what I had been taught by AAIE over the previous months was going to happen. Wow. And that was a very interesting situation. Thank you for that. Liz is back. So, Vicky, we're going to move back to Liz to do her introduction again, and then we'll ask her the same question. And then let's build on some of the things that you said, Vicky. Yeah, does that make sense? So Liz, just give us again an in, uh, introduction. What school are you at currently as a director and where your little journey or your big yes. journey? We'll try again. Challenge number one is tech and uh, good Wi-Fi. <laughs> so um, uh, my name is Liz Free. I'm director of the International School Rheintal in the German-speaking part of Switzerland. And I moved here just over a year ago. And prior to that, I was a director um, at the British School in the Netherlands. And before that, I was a head teacher in different schools around the world. And also um, uh, for five years, I was head of teacher education at Oxford University Press. That's the condensed version. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you, Liz. So one of the things that Vicky has really uh, kindly done is shared kind of her uh, learning when COVID came. So she was in Panama and suddenly this landed on her desk. And what were some things maybe that she automatically had to engage with? And maybe you can talk about your context, because as I remember, you were in the Netherlands, correct? I was at that time. I was in the Netherlands. Um I think like everybody, it was the initial um, uh, surprise really at what the situation was and how quickly we needed to adapt. So I think I just caught the end of it with the, you know, the move online, the digital requirements, lots of conversations about what is right and what is wrong. You know, what do, what do we feel as a school about face-to-face um, -face online teaching? You know, what, what is our position on that? What's the child protection position on that? And so we find our, found ourselves um, in a position where we had to make decisions very quickly. And some of those decisions felt quite big. And 
initially, like many people, we thought it was going to be a short-term occurrence. And as time has gone on, it's rather than being a sprint, it's been more like a marathon. And so I think in those initial days, um, I think in, when I look at some of my own school and also schools um, uh, around the world, is we've had to evolve our position. And what worked for the sake of a week or two is very different to what it looks like over two months and what that looks like over six months and over a year. And at some point, we have to have an understanding of what normality is, the new normality. And we can't be in this kind of reactionary uh, coping mode for forever. And so I think in that initial bit, it was very much all hands on deck and get this going and get our children learning so we don't get um, a gap in the, the learning journey. But of course, the learning journey was different. And like most journeys, we know it's the, uh, um, the destination, you may know where you went to end up, but it's the process of being on that adventure together that can be um, uh, probably richer learning than perhaps the intended learning to start off with. And so I think that's where we find our ourselves now is that we're in a different place. Um, we still got uh, the same or similar destination, but we're thinking very differently about how we get there. Vicky, how do you feel that if, from your experience that was also this kind of this learning journey has reframed maybe where the destination is? Absolutely. I would completely agree with that. I think when we started off, it was very much how we're going to work, make it work and work it very similar to an ordinary school day. And one of our biggest battles really was with our parents. Um, they expected, you know, maths from eight to nine o'clock. And then um, and they expected, you know, the teacher to be talking to the students. And they had a very far more traditional approach to what I expected. So, and particularly in early childhood, um, that was most difficult. Parents were going crazy at home and uh, they would, you know, saying, why do I have to be the teacher? And we really looked at all of our resources and we had somebody like Fran Perlman come in and actually talk to our parents about, you know, being kind to themselves and the difference between um, what it would be like when we are face to face and how parents might deal with these additional stresses at home and to look after themselves. So she was a great resource in those very early days of COVID. Another part that happened was that um, I think we think in international schools that many people are just like us and, you know, most people are fairly affluent and all of that. But, of course, in places like Panama, we had assistant teachers who didn't have Wi-Fi and, you know, suddenly was, well, they can't be sitting at home doing nothing and drawing a salary and, you know, what do we do? So the school actually went out and made sure that everybody had Wi-Fi connection at home, including all the assistance teachers. So I think this whole uh, being inclusive wasn't just about the students, but it was about all parts of our community and how do we best deal with that. That's so interesting because I think there's so many schools around the world where the local staff maybe don't have the incomes of the expatriate staff. So that's a great anecdote. Liz, did you, did you also feel that kind of tension, creative tension with parents? This kind of, because I think what Vicky's telling us, there was a perception from parents that maybe didn't align with what good research and good pedagogy might have said. Uh, it's actually very interesting for me because I came from the British School in the Netherlands that did no face-to-face -face teaching at all during the COVID period and right. came to ISR that did a completely online face-to-face uh, -face learning experience. So I went from kind of one extreme to the other and like most things in life, it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so... Um, 
my experience initially, and it's interesting because being a director in the school and I've got two children myself um, and, and kind of seeing that that play out is I felt the, the social interaction um, initially in those early days when it was all being uh, emailed home and there was um, work coming left, right and centre, um, that it was really quite overwhelming because what we were looking to do initially was to try and replicate, partly because we didn't want to lose pace in the curriculum, partly because of parental expectation as well. And, and we wanted the best for our students. The perception was that we needed to try and do everything that we would normally do. And Vicky, you were just saying this as well. But within um, the structure where you've got parents working, you might have one device in a room um, or in a household. We make a lot of assumptions about international families. But often international families on expatriate contracts are not necessarily as affluent as we might think. And so there was huge um, pressures on families and uh, teachers to make sure that, you know, that responsibility for the learning and trying to support parents through that journey. So I think that was really tough in the early days. And, it is, you know, as a director myself and also with two young children, um, trying to help them with their learning, it, it was tough. And we, yeah. we got to the point as a family where we just said, actually, you know what, we're going to do what makes sense for our, our children. And some days it might be this much, other days it might be that much. And it's OK. It's OK. <laughs> yeah. Did either of you have to do any, any hybrid situ learning situations where you had some children in class, some joining in from you know, Google Meet or Zoom or anything? Yeah, we, we ended up with that in the the second iteration. The first iteration was everybody home. The second iteration was um, half, I actually had one point where it was half the school one day, half the school the next day. And then we also had students that um, uh, were not coming to school because they were either they were in quarantine or the parents were not comfortable. So we had this A, B and C group um, happening across the organization. Um, it was extremely complex uh, and challenging and it was not easy on anyone really. Um, and thankfully, um, where I am now, this is not an issue. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And, and I take it, Liz, that was because of the edicts of the local government and what the local health laws were saying. That's right. It was to do with social distancing and needing to maintain um, a minimal number of people on the campus. Um, here at ISR in Switzerland, we've had uh, we're in like kind of like bubbles. So where we've had an outbreak, we we um, isolate that group. They they um, go to remote learning, and then the rest of the school carries on. And in that case, we're a smaller environment where we can be more agile. And again, we move to a hybrid model, um, sort of asynchronized, and we we have a. a an in-between structure between having face-to-face -face contact and the, the importance of social interaction while still understanding that learning can look differently uh, when you're completely remotely based. So we have that happening. We haven't had it so far this year. We've been back, I think, three weeks now. Um, but we we did have that towards uh, throughout last year. Wow. And Vicky, you in Panama, as I remember, you were always online. You didn't have these permutations of hybrid and some groups coming in and some groups coming out, or was that more in Norway? And in Panama, we were completely, um, everybody was at home, so it was all online. Here, we've all been face-to-face. -face. We've had cohorts and we've had students be in quarantine, but uh, we have not had to run a hybrid model, no. What I'm hearing for both of you, what, what really is resonating is this capacity to be very agile and adaptable in very short times. And also both of you really highlighted the importance of sticking to your vision, which is student learning and making that kind of the, the guiding light. And I'm wondering 
was that even more challenging to keep going with all these outside pressures and these variables like Liz, you had these hybrid ABC and you were only online. I mean, you both really were very clear. Student learning is what we're about and we really want to stick to our mission. What were some of the forces that were pulling you away from that and how did you keep, you know, reminding your community, no, this is what we believe in? And Vicky, maybe you want to start? Yes, I think bringing in outside experts um, was certainly something that helped us. So, as I mentioned, Dr. Franny was absolutely fantastic. And she, um, yeah, she was a great support. And just uh, people, often when you say something, somebody else says exactly the same thing. But when it's the outside expert coming in, yeah, it's exactly. not about you trying to save costs or whatever else it might be. So that was incredibly um yeah, that, that was really, really important. And I think most schools have had on their website at some stage, you know, school is closed, but the learning continues. And I think one of the things we've had to do in this time is really narrow down what is it that is really important. So some things like um, outside testing and that kind of thing is sort of gone by the by because you're focusing on what is true learning and what is transformative learning. And um, so you really, you take away all the unnecessary things and uh, you focus on that and um, I think that's been very beneficial for students too. Liz? Um, for me it comes down to that it's the same as always in many ways is what it, you know you come down to what is great leadership and you know great leadership is around effective communication but it's also having a clear uh, moral purpose and that mission and vision of the school at the heart of every decision. So what I found, and obviously coming into a school in the middle of COVID as well, where you're setting, you know, normally when you come able to say, you look at presidents, your know, first 100 days, you set out your stall, and that's basically what you're going to do for the next like decade. Um, so as a school leader coming into that, you've had to really balance out your pace, pace of change um, during a volatile situation anyway. So for me, the very first thing that I did when I came into um, ISR was to ask the staff, you know, what is great about this organization? What is this organization about? What is the essence of this organization? And what do we need to do better at? And I come back to that over and over and over. And after a year of, you know, pulling the data apart, being operationally driven, where you've just got to keep the school open, and you've got lots of different uh, things happening, we come back to what, what, what are we really trying to do here? And is the activity that we're now engaging in, is it helping us in that or not? If it isn't, we don't do it anymore. If it is, we continue doing it. And if we want to revise and improve something, then we invest our time and energy on that. And that's what our board have been really good at as well is is not getting stuck here because we could very easily get stuck in just the day-to-day -day operational and trying to keep going. But we've got to keep our eye on what we aspire to be and what we aspire for our young people. So, and I think that's the real tension for heads and school leaders at this time is to maintain pace uh, while still being um, cognizant of the situation that we're in and the well-being of the communities that we serve. And the well-being is, I think, something that I'm curious. So both of you, your school leaders, I'm sure every email you're CC'd on, basically everybody comes to you for the guidance. How did you balance that? And Liz, you have a family. And Vicky, I know you have a family too. How did you kind of balance that where, you know, it was 20, I mean, having been through it myself and, and leading a being part of the COVID task force team, it felt 24 seven some days and nonstop. And then just be, you talked about well-being, Liz, what were, 
how did you balance that yourself, you know, just to have that ability just to pause and maybe refresh? Well, one of the things I'm actually very disciplined in how I work. I, I can't I can't be a mum and do this job and all the other things that come with that without being uh, kind to myself. So uh, one of the things I do is I do not read emails on the weekend. Um, it's a it's a stall that I laid out from the very beginning with my team, and we talked about um, what what is hard work and what is making progress in this organisation and how do we count it? Do we count it by hours? Do we count it by um, IB results, you know, what matters here? And we, you know, everyone came down to the same is the progress of each and every individual learner. So um, do I want my staff working on a Sunday all the way through and they come in on a Monday exhausted? No, I do not. And so I have to model that as a school leader. And so I'm very disciplined. Um, I give every member of staff has my personal number. And if, if there's something that needs to be done on the weekend that they need me for, they can come to me personally. Um, but I don't look at emails. I'm very disciplined um, about working hard when I'm working hard. Um, and not when I'm not. And I think that's meant that I've had the energy um, to keep going and to really get this pace of change I was talking about earlier and to maintain my own um, uh, positivity and access to the community. Um, you could very easily in this job, and I have to be honest though, John, it's no different during this COVID time than it's always been. <laughs> my first headship, I think it was in 2004. Um, and I've never met a head teacher who says, oh, do you know what? I've got loads of time and um, you know I I'm twiddling my thumbs. So I don't think COVID's any different. Um, it's that maybe um, the volatility in the community might be a little bit different. So how the community experiences, but as a school leader, it's the same. So I would say is knowing knowing your why, that's the gets you out of bed in the morning and with the energy and positivity that your team deserve and your community deserves. And then making sure that you know how to nurture yourself to enable you to be able to nurture other people, which ultimately as leaders, we're only as good as the team's um, themselves. So I think it's important to model that and to be really vocal about it because I think there is an expectation with heads and school leaders that somehow you have to be on all of the time. And I've seen it with my own team. You know, they say to me, oh, Liz, you know, I didn't pick up your, your um, email. It was in the holidays. I accidentally sent an email. It, it was on a time thing, so it kind of went, but it went at the wrong time. And I suddenly got an email back from the leadership team. And I was like, no, 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 no. Why are you replying to me? I don't need you to reply. I didn't say urgent. Didn't say reply to me right now. Please don't. Um, if I need you, I'll find you. <laughs> Liz, I'm really curious. Like, I, like a, I think that's a really good productivity hack, like not looking at email on the weekend. But I'm curious on a practical level, how do you actually do that? Because I would love to do that. John and me always emailing each other on the weekend. I can't stop <laughs> replying all the time, like, I mean, do you, do you not have your email app on the phone? I mean, how nope, do you? Actually, I don't. I don't ha I, I have two separate. Your mental phones. commitment. You just this don't is, look at your phone. This is my work phone, and I have a separate one for my personal phone. I deliberately have two iPhones so that I can manage That's that. Yeah, um, And at, you say that you, my question is is is. I mean, it's different if you're doing things that is because you're interested in. So, um, you know, I do a lot of the women ed activity. I do a lot of voluntary work in education. And yes, I do that on the weekends and I do that um, in the evening. Um, but that for me is is the the extra bit. That's for the love of the profession, really. Uh, but the, the the core work, no, I, I'm um, unless it's something really critical. And occasionally, you know, if you have a um, there's a major event coming up or something like that, and I'm just run out of time. Um, no, I'm just disciplined. I'm very, very specific in it. And everyone has a different way of working. And for some people, it, it might be, Dan, that working on the weekend works for you. But if I do that as a school leader, 
and then my leadership team replicate it because they think that's my expectation. What you now do in your team is create a culture where it's expected and it's you're somehow less than if you don't do it. So I've explained to everybody how I work and what works for me. And um, I work to that that ideal. And every you know, staff will say to me, actually, Liz, you know, I need to, um, you know, I might have, I don't know, there might be some of our staff, doesn't matter whether they're male or female, that have got young children. They say, I'd really like to go at five or at half four um, because I don't want to see my children and put them to bed. And I'm, I'll then work an hour between eight and nine uh, because that's when I then do my planning for the next day. If, if that works for somebody, then I respect the fact that they're making informed decisions. And one other thing that I think the COVID period has done is really focused us on agency. We talk about student agency, but actually we need to be talking about teacher agency and all of the data around impact on young people and school improvement, you know, the, the greater the teacher, um, uh, the sense of agency from the teacher, the higher the um, academic attainment and sh uh, student outcomes. So yeah. I trust my teachers. I trust them to, I know they all work hard. I haven't met a teacher who doesn't work hard. So I, I really think it's important that as a profession, we start to focus on what matters, um, which is teaching and learning. It's not how many hours you put in on a Saturday or a Sunday. It's interesting because we, we worked with a German-Swiss international school in Hong Kong, and this was a few years ago, so it might have changed, but because the school has some connection to the German government back there, that maybe it still does, um, staff were not allowed to answer email from, I think, from 4 o'clock on a Friday until 8, eight o'clock or something on a Monday. You actually, they, because that was a law for civil servants in Germany, you couldn't reply on the weekend. And so they actually couldn't email on the weekend. Everyone, brilliant. Everyone was banned. <laughs> and then what you have is te teachers, when we think about what makes great teachers, is teachers who bring the joy of um, their lives and what they do into the classroom. They're the yeah. teachers that climb up mountains on the weekend or go off and do interesting things. So um, and I'm not saying it's not, um, I don't think people should work hard. I think we work very hard in the profession, uh, but I think we've got to work smart and we've just got to get away from this idea of long hours and almost this um uh that you're sacrificing yourself somehow is making you better at your job it doesn't and what happens is we see attrition from the profession and yeah. we see that and i mean john uh, i would when we were messaging before around specifically around women um we know that women that hit in their 40s and 50s particularly in the international sector is that's when they drop to start to drop out of leadership roles and one of the reasons cited is because they get the pressure point of family sometimes elderly family um when you're in the international sector and teenage children and then you throw in on top of that a high expectation of long working hours and we lose great people so I think we've got to put our children first and really focus on that and then find lots of different ways to be that our staff can be so they can thrive. Vicky what about your uh, balance and your wellness because everybody has a different approach so Liz really gave us a great hack no emails during the weekend how about yourself? Um, I think during this time, uh, you, d you do think more and more about balance in life because once COVID hit and we all went online, um, it was sort of all work and no play. You know, you go from one Zoom meeting to another. And I remember my husband being in the room next door and I would actually sit there with my phone and I'd WhatsApp him and say, can you bring me a glass of water or <laughs> you know, something like that? So it went, and, and one really had to focus on that. So that's when I really started yoga, the Calm app um, and things like that to, excuse me, my lights keep going out. <laughs> um, so that was 
so that was a change and a focus, stand-up paddleboarding and all of that. But Panama became very, very strict. And we had uh, days where men were allowed out and days where women were allowed out. And you were only allowed out for one hour a day. And that did not include any exercise. You had, could go to the supermarket or um, the chemist and that was it. Uh, so it was very, very strict. But I think one of the things that happened is that we as a leadership team, we were all faced with this incredible problem and problems were being thrown at us right, left and center. And people stepped up and we were all doing things we'd never done before. We'd never done online assemblies before. Um, so as an example, and uh, most of our teachers had never functioned in the way before that was now expected of them. Uh, we were all going through this, you know, student well-being. We didn't want our kids to be sitting at the screen, but at the same time, we had parents wanting, you know, lessons as they had in their uh, mind's eye a vision of what school was like. Um, so all of this was going on. And I think often people talk about leadership being a lonely profession, and I honestly don't think it is. I actually think um, that's almost a male construct of leadership. I think leadership is a highly collaborative experience where we really learn from each other and where people step up at the right times. And and this happened more in COVID than I've ever seen before. I, I saw people develop skills and help each other in ways that weren't so common beforehand. And the level of trust went up even more so in our team. We were always a very, very close team. But, you know, and I see that now that I'm in Bergen, where one night um, we had some COVID cases and we knew we had to put some students into quarantine. Well, I had gone to bed, to be honest. I was exhausted at nine o'clock and this happened at 9.30 at night. And the rest of the team just stepped up and did everything exactly the way we all agreed, you know, learning continues and this is how we're going to do it. And they wrote all the letters and all the parents heard about it and it was absolutely fine. And I don't think that that kind of agency had been fostered to that higher degree previously. So I think that's one of the silver linings that we've all experienced from COVID, that level of trust, the closeness, and that people have been given faith to, you know, step up because we're facing problems we haven't faced before. Yeah. And that's interesting because, go ahead, Dan. No, I'd just like to say, Vicky, one thing you, you said really quickly there, which I think is a great hack, is, is the calm up, which I would have thought was really cheesy, but I absolutely love the sleep stories. I, I, use, it, I've got, I use it all the time. It's how I fall asleep at night. I put... They have a lot of train journey stories. That's actually for someone listening to like a concrete hack. It, you wouldn't think an app that just has calming mantras and, and, and uh, you know, sleep things. But it is. But it, I, I found that like a really good app to, to relax. Me too. Yeah. Sorry, John. You, yeah, not at all. And, and I think, you know, what you're saying, Dan, it's so important that, you know, everybody has a different hack and they're all just because the no email on weekends worked for you doesn't mean it has to work for everybody else. I think it's about what makes sense for you and what can you manage and what can you actually follow through on? Because it's all great saying, yeah. I'm going to do these things. But then if you don't do them, then that's obviously not working for you. Right. You both talk sorry, about... Sorry, sorry. No, no, Dan, no, 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 sorry, no, no, I was, I was agreeing. So, sorry. Uh, you both talk about agency. And you talk about agency of students and teachers. And Vicky, you have that wonderful anecdote of this leadership team that basically takes care of an important workflow and doesn't bother calling you or emailing you. And because they knew exactly what they had to do and they were being mindful of you needing some rest. 
now that you've experienced that, are you constructing your interactions and your team building in a different way because you know of this power that you've both witnessed through COVID and maybe even before, but maybe the combination has amplified that importance? I don't know, Vicky, what do you think in your, because you then moved to a new school. I took a lot of those learnings with me. And I think, you know, building a team and really learning from each you know what are our various strengths and having complete faith in that so we come to agreements in our team and you know but that's covered or no covered uh, and once we've decided on that we all go ahead and we do what we do and then the next week we come back and say well how did that go and so on but um the trust level is very high and i think it's a much more efficient way of working as well i do not need to look over my team's shoulders they've all been chosen to be where they are because they are fantastic at the job that they do and i think that way our time is being used efficiently and the school moves forward really well. But COVID possibly um, made us rely on each other like this. So we tested each other in under very stressful situations. Well, that's interesting. So maybe the trust was there, but through COVID, the test, it actually was a deliverable. Yes. Liz, how about your uh, your thoughts on this idea of agency and trust in a leadership team? I think it's difficult to assess what it would have been like otherwise, because, of course, you know, I came in into a school that was in the middle of coping with COVID and left a school that was in the middle of coping with COVID. Um, so I think I've in some ways it's easier because during the COVID period, everything is stripped back. So when you often come into a school as a, a new head or director, the first thing you have to do is get under the skin of the school itself, is to understand the environment that you're in. And so when you come in during COVID, you're, the school has is, is already made the decisions about what it um, values and what it continues to do and what it doesn't continue to do. And so I think that's a really interesting time to come in as a head or director because the conversations have already started. So when it comes to agency, I think it's opened the door in a way that if we hadn't had COVID, it would have been different coming into because everyone is used to the conversation of, well, should we do that or should we not do it? Whereas before I would have come in and it would be like, we've always done it this way. And therefore that is what it is. And it's a whole conversation about change. So kind of you're, you're in an environment that's ripe for change and you've got a leadership team, if you've inherited one, which I did, um, who are very dedicated to the school and committed to the school and open and, and ready for the conversation of why, you know, why are we doing that and not that? So I, I find it hard to assess what would it have been like if it wasn't COVID? <laughs> what did the, how would the team have been? How would they have been um, with a, um, a new director coming in? You know, we've got a new campus being built. We've got um, significant change afoot. Um, but what I have learned is around the use of really practical things like meetings. Uh, we've been much more efficient in our use of time, both within our own departments and also with our parents. So even things like um, we have you know, normal parent-teacher conferences with students and teachers and parents, three-way com communication. And we did them all online last year and we had the highest turnout that we'd ever had in the entire school's history. And so we're like, wow, this is amazing. This now means not only are we getting one parent, in most cases, we're getting access of two parents calling into these conferences. The parents might not even be in the same place. They could be in different countries. Uh, so things like that, I think, um, 
give people more time so that they feel they have more control and also they can make decisions about what works for them. So I suppose the, the agency question will really come about over time. But I hope we've trusted our profession, trusted our colleagues to make decisions and then to run with it. So now that you've experienced the last 18 months and we're still in some permutation of COVID, yeah. what would you say you stopped doing that you did before and now you're no more doing? Vicky, anything that you can, in the context of your leadership? And I'm putting you guys on the spot. <laughs> so I always find that exercise of what do you stop doing? Um, I was talking earlier about trust and just letting people run with things. And I think one simply has to, because we've all had so many additional things we've had to deal with that, you know, to really be very precise and to just say, okay, you run with this and uh, just expect it's going to be done. And, you know, experience has told us it's working. Nice. Liz? It's it's really difficult because actually, what have I stopped doing? Well, not a huge amount, actually. Um, I've carried on doing, um, cramming more and more in. But actually, that's an interesting point because one of the things I, I believe in is saying yes. Um, and when we talk about career paths and how do you progress if you're looking to develop into leadership, what I say is take every opportunity. Um, so I, I think what I've learned during this time is I've been more discerning. Um, and I've said no to something. So I've started to look at the time that I have and think, what can I realistically do? And I don't know if this is COVID related or just a time of my life where I've said yes too many times, maybe, um, is to start to pass things on to other people. So whether it's, um, you know, I was on the Mathematical Association for 10 years um, on the primary group. And I thought, actually, I've, I've given what I can to this group. I now want to focus my energy on these. And it's time for somebody else to, to take uh, the bat on. So I think this time of COVID has enabled a period of reflection, maybe, personally. Um, and I've learned that I don't have to keep doing everything. <laughs> Yeah. And if I can just add, I think sometimes, uh, you know, you don't you don't say anymore, it's not possible. You say, how is it possible? I think that's one of the things. It's been a shift in, in, in thinking. And I think an emphasis on having things like laughter, you know, as part of, you know, how important that is. When I said before, it's all work and it's no play. It is so important that we laugh together, that we build community together, um, and that we have a joyful culture. And I think we've all become very, very cognizant of that and some little time savers you know instead of writing long emails sending somebody a quick video I didn't used to do that before but now you do it you know and I know technology has moved on but it's just a, a more efficient way of communicating in some cases so it's little hacks like that I love the video one yeah loom loom is a great tool for that I, I use that all the time so you were just so to, uh, so instead of sending an email, you quickly get on your laptop and do a quick video and just send them the video. Yeah, often over WhatsApp, which sounds terribly informal, but it's um, it's just an efficient way of doing it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that and I think that's you know so often for leaders, those little things can make such a big difference. Uh, the idea I know some. Uh, principals no more have faculty meetings. They actually screencast their faculty meeting and now they have learning meetings. So they're saying all the nuts and bolts and information, guess what? You watch the video. Uh, mm -hmm. Now we're in a room and we're going to talk about learning because <laughs> you know that PowerPoint that goes through what professional development or whatever it might be, you know, grade 12's lunch or what, and, and suddenly 
that's a way. Why would you do that in a room with 100 people when you could have them watch the video when they want? And if they don't watch it, that's their problem. Then they don't know. But when you're in the room, you're really talking about the essence, which is student learning. So I love both that you're highlighting some of those hacks. And I think with both Liz and me being new, I think, you know, video is a great way of parents getting to know you, you know, just a 30 second snip of something that's happening. They weren't allowed to come into the building. So let's bring bring it to them. And that's been very successful. So those, that sounds like something you started doing, Vicky, is this idea of leveraging video for parents and also yeah. in messaging. Liz, what about yourself? What maybe did you start doing that you didn't do before? So um, you probably know I've got a passion for professional learning uh, and development. And no, it shouldn't be slides. You're absolutely right, John. We're not going to sit through 100 slides. Um, but I've been trying to think really hard um, about how, again, do we maintain pace for school improvement during this period? Because we still um, are in schools. Many of us are, you know, are wanting to develop, wanting to improve, wanting to even be even better uh, for our students. And so one of the things that we've done is really targeted um, professional learning and development on individual goal setting and taking away performance management. We've scrapped that. Um, and we're focusing on how do we empower the individual to develop what they know they need to develop because they are the professional in their field. And one of the things I've done is uh, we have the usual inset days like many of us. And so I've given over the inset day. So I've just said, I know we're right because they're recording their professional learning goals. Um, we're agreeing them, we're talking about them, is I give them the time. I say, right, there's six hours there that you would normally be um, in the school for professional learning and development. I don't mind how you use it during the year. You can do it at any time you like. You can do it on Christmas Day if you really want to. Um, you do not have to be in school on this inset day at this time because learning doesn't happen like that. Professional learning is about your conversations on a Sunday over Twitter. Or it might be um, meeting somebody for a coffee. It might be visiting another school. So um, I've given over. I've kind of put my money where my, my mouth is, if you like, um, and said, I trust you. I trust you to do it. You'll put your reflections during the year and you use that time for your own learning. So that's a, a little thing that we've done. And what I've seen, I did it last year um, as a trial to see what would happen. And then people said to me, you're crazy. Yes, <laughs> you, this time is so precious. You've got to have people in. Um, and I agree with you, John, that you have to you when you have people in it's for meaningful conversation but not all meaningful conversations have to happen in one place or at a specified time or um, with designated people uh, if I'm the head of science or a physics teacher am I going to develop in an inset in a school where we only have one physics teacher maybe maybe not so I think being really um, targeted about what you do and finding opportunities to reach inwards but also reach outwards because we're not we're not going to the conferences you know we're not doing the IB workshops we're not having that face-to-face -face contact which actually is really important for connection so I've been trying to find different ways to get the community involved when I think digitally um, the school that I'm in has not really been focused on doing that they haven't done that naturally they've relied on the kind of traditional methods of connecting so we're trying to do some smart stuff um, around that, but I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that nimbleness and suppleness is, Dan, I'm curious what you think about this model of the inset and, you know, giving people more autonomy because you're working with a lot of schools around the world. What have you noticed? You know, I mean, does this kind of make sense from what you're seeing? I think I think that's quite forward thinking. I haven't really seen that at other schools where you've given you know normally an inset day is you come you come in and you're going to learn about you know whatever. I think that's that's a really interesting thing. I mean, 
different people, different teachers and different staff like to do different things with their PD. Some might want to do a master's degree and uh, devote a few hours a month. Some might want to just do a few specific IT courses. Some might want to do something completely different, you know? So I think it's, it's good to be very flexible from a school director point of view, you know, in terms of letting people do the sort of training and things that, that, that that's what interests them, you know? Yeah, I think that, that, oh, go ahead, please. Yeah, I, I was going to say, Joy, it's, it's it's a really um, talking about agency. This is absolutely about agency. It's not a free for all, by the way. It's not just a oh, go and have a nice time by the beach. Um, although you could actually, you could do it by the beach if you wanted to. Uh, but it's there is accountability around it. So we agree. I mean, we we spent uh, we did when we use our inset days or inset times, not days, because we actually don't do days anymore. If we've got an inset day, we put it into chunks. Um, so at the beginning of the year, we gave fifty percent of the time to. Um, uh, lesson preparation and preparing for students and we gave 50% of the time to learning and development and one of those sessions was around professional goal setting you know how do you set impactful professional goals and so we talked about that for an hour we and we practiced it and then teachers went away and did it and their goals are now what is leading their personal um, study and development time. So there's a, a structure within it, but it's held and owned by the individual. And that's where our true agency comes in. And I think as school leaders, uh, we can, particularly in domestic systems, can be under pressure to conform to particular ways of communicating and developing the profession. And I, I think this COVID period, if anything, it's given us more freedom. Wonderful. So uh, you both now are new schools and you've started a new school year. Are there any things that you are surprised by what you might have done that you were like, oh, never thought I was going to do that. I'm just curious as you know, because you've both shared so many rich learnings and observations and how you've engaged with this very complex situation over in both of you in two different countries. That's incredible. You were in one country both, and then you moved in the middle of COVID uh, to another country. That's that's in itself quite complex. What, what maybe nowadays you're thinking, wow, I've begun doing something and I never thought I would do that. And not in the sense like you're surprised, but more like I'm doing that because it makes more sense. And this experience has allowed me to build that understanding, which maybe I didn't have before. And I'll open it to either Liz and Vicky to start. My questions are stumping you. I'm not really yeah, good at questions today, John. You're, you're on fire. Yeah, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I'm a, a pretty sort of black and white thinker and, and very organized, and I like to know where we're going and, and that kind of thing. And COVID has taken that away from us. And I think where I used to be incredibly anxious about, you know, and now suddenly we're going to have a large portion of the school not here or whatever. Um, <laughs> And I was anxious because people didn't, you know, I was worried people didn't have the skills or what parents would think and that kind of thing. But now we're kind of in a routine and, you know, you've got that sort of sword of Damocles hanging over your head all the time, but it has ceased to matter as much as it did. So now, you know, we've got a new routine of how we're going to do that. And it's been interesting also to see how students have really adapted to that. You know, to them, this is... I hate the term, the new normal, but, you know, they, they've just learned to live with where we are right now. And, you know, we had UN Day last 
year. And it came from then that they just said, okay, we can't all sit together the way we used to. So they created this fantastic video and they got students uh, filming each other and they put it all together. And we had an assembly where we all ended up celebrating in our own classrooms. But it, it's just really this sort of whole flexibility, agility and, and ceasing to worry that things may not be perfect and certainly aren't the way they used to be. Um, it's okay now. And I think, you know, we've had a lot of practice at this now. And, and that's a good feeling, really, uh, to know that I work with a group of people who can do a 180 degree turn at the drop of a hat. And that's pretty cool. I that don't is. think it's going to happen. Yeah, that's that. And especially if you're, as you described, you're a person that likes more black and white. That's huge that, that you're more comfortable pivoting very quickly with a little unknown. That, that's wonderful. Liz? Um, I think it's a really hard question because I still feel like we're in it. I don't know if we're going to come out the other side. I don't know if there is another side. Um, it'd be interesting to reflect back. Um, one of the things that probably surprises me and shouldn't surprise me is actually schools are still schools. <laughs> students are still students. And we still deal with, as teachers and school leaders, the extraordinary things so you know just thinking of my my day last week you know i went from dealing with mammoths you know the little like beaver things trying to eat our wires and going under climbing underneath the building to try and fix it through to some kind of deep pedagogical um, preparation for the board meeting and then at another point i was three thousand meters up a mountain doing a photo shoot for our new website with a load of students with their backpacks on and i just thought Wow, this is why I became a teacher in the first place. And and the, the same stuff still matters. We might get there in a slightly different way, which is where we started at the beginning of this conversation. Um, but I suppose in the extraordinary experience that we've all, you know, we've all been through, we've all in the international community experienced uh, trauma during this time, that actually our, our children need the routine, um, they need the learning um, environments, whether that's virtual or face-to-face -face that we offer. And what we can bring to the community is stability, even in volatility. So I think that's, I don't know if it's a surprise to me, um, but when I reflect back, I, I think that we are at times, whilst we may not feel well equipped sometimes when we're thinking about how do we do this? Is this right or is that right? You know, what are we doing with live videos and child protection we were talking about earlier? You know, does anyone really know what the right answer is there? Um, actually, if we're putting children first, then then we're doing what we've always done. Wonderful. So I would just, as we wrap up here, I'm just wondering if you have any, you know, we have a lot of... Uh, our audience are international educators and leaders and uh, middle level leaders, any kind of just little, as the as you look at the year ahead, what are some of the things that your, your mantra, what are you saying? Okay, this is what we have to look forward to or based on this experience. And you both have done such a rich uh, job in expressing those learnings. What are some things maybe, you know, kind of a positive note that you would like to send out to people about what, you know, as you said, Liz, it's not yet over and we don't know when it's over and will it ever be over? That those are, that's for the pundits to decide, but just each as a lead school leaders, what are some just little words of wisdom that you'd like to leave the audience with? I'll go first. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, what I would say is how important it is to look outwards as well as inwards. So how you build your professional network, whether it's online through Twitter, whether it's through podcasts, is to make sure that you don't get stuck. 
because it's very easy during this time to become uh, insular and inward looking. And as an international community, the real strength that we have is each other. So I think as um, school leaders, I mean, Vicky was saying earlier about, you know, you're not actually alone and you really aren't. Um, but forge your own networks. And um, if you're not able to get that in the usual way, think of creative ways, just as you do for your students and how much time and energy you put into them, put that into you too, so that you can be the very best that you can be. Wonderful, thank you. That's a great strategy. Uh, Vicky. Yes, no, I certainly, I mean, you talked about mantra just before, and I think we do rise by lifting others, and we need to connect, and I think that's been more important than ever before. People have felt very lonely, very, especially in the international community, people who haven't been able to see, in my own case, my daughter for two years, um, my mother is in New Zealand, and and all of our families are going through that at the moment. And I think that, you know, really consciously connecting, laughing together and being there for each other and maybe other ways than we have done before um, is now more important than ever. Thank you. Well, Liz and Vicky, thank you so much for coming and joining us. In the show notes, we have the uh, school's websites and their Twitter. So make sure to connect with Liz and Vicky as you feel appropriate and definitely follow them and you can kind of keep tabs on their professional journey <laughs> through their Twitter and their work that they're doing in their respective schools. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thank, Thank you. you, Dan. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. <laughs>